Hello and welcome to another edition of the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sutherland Echo. I'm your host, James Copley, and I'm joined as ever by Phil Smith. Phil, how are you today? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad at all. Nice to be basking in the glow of another win for, for a long week. Yes, indeed. And that win came at the Stadium of Light against Akron Stanley. 2-1 on the day. Uh, Sutherland's still top of the table, Phil. Halcyon days. Yeah, it's... Um... It's been a really encouraging start, and, it, and it's interesting, isn't it? I know it's been picked up on by by a lot of people, but it's interesting to look at the table as well. And you kind of perceive that Sunderland haven't had that tougher start because they haven't played some of the bigger names, but actually they have played most of the form form teams in the division. I think Bolton Wanderers are the only side in the top six they haven't played yet. So that gives you an indication that although they might not have played the Teams with the biggest reputations, yet they've played some really good football inside, so we're in a good place. And, you know, I thought the Accrington game summed that up because Accrington were a good, strong side. Um, I've always liked Accrington because never once if they come to the Stadium of Light and put 10 men behind the ball. And we saw that again on Saturday. Yes, they played with a back five, but they played with two up front, two prop sent forwards, really aggressive in their press. Yeah, they were physical and yeah, they relied on set pieces a lot for their attacking threat, but it was a good open game and a good test and they will take a lot of points off teams this year. Um, we saw that with Wimbledon, who I think we were all quite impressed with a few weeks ago. We've seen them go and take points off Ipswich and Portsmouth, I think. So I think it's been a really good start and when you look at what the other teams have done, um, it becomes an excellent start and you know everyone deserves an awful lot of credit with that who's been involved. Accrington as well under John Coleman, they're, they're a big physical and posing side. Sunderland did really well to, to deal with that when you consider some of the young players in there that might not have dealt with that sort of test before. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's it's important, you know, one of the things you always try to do is not get too carried away with wins and too lows with defeats and try and be really objective in your, in your assessment of it. And I think if we're honest, I think the set pieces were definitely a concern. I think that Accrington are a, a particularly potent side from that avenue. Um, they're a big side, they're a strong side. And I think it was always going to be a challenge for Sunderland, but I do think they gave up too many opportunities from set players. And they also gave away too many set players. I think if you reflect on the game, a lot of times when young players have made fouls where in that part of the pitch, not really under a huge amount of pressure, I think that's definitely a big lesson to take from the game. Obviously, it was a really difficult debut for... Torben Hoffman, and I thought it was a good decision to throw him in because it's not going to get tougher than that. And he can sort of go away and have a wry smile and take a deep breath because it's not really going to get much tougher than that for him. And you saw that kind of rustiness in his game at times. So, yeah, I'm not getting too carried away because I think there definitely is some areas to, to work on. But as you mentioned, 100%, you have to give these players, young players, a lot of them not very experienced in senior football, a lot of credit because at the moment they're finding ways to come through these challenges. And the exciting thing is observers who want the team to do well is even in these scenarios, they're still managing to find a way to produce really nice, exciting passages of football. The second goal absolutely embodying that. And yeah, like I say, you, you, you try and be objective. We certainly don't want to get carried away. But I think given what we've watched over a long period of time, I think it's more than fair for all of us journalists, fans or whatever to sit back and say, you know what, what a nice feeling to, to enjoy watching this side at the minute. You mentioned Hoffman there, Phil, coming in for his debut, replacing Anthony Patterson. First game in English football, first game for Sunderland, joining from a big club in Bayern Munich, big things expected, big hype around the transfer, deadline day deal. 
Um, I would say the majority of Sunderland fans probably wanted him in the start 11. He was put in the start 11, as you mentioned. He did struggle maybe with some of the more physical aspects of the game, but what did you see from him in terms of his willingness to play with the ball at his feet? Yeah, well, I think that's why fundamentally why he's been brought in, isn't he? He's seen as a really good match for the for the playing philosophy. And I thought as the game went on, we did see that more and more. There was a few of raw kicks early on, but I think you would expect that. Um, I thought as the game went on, his kicking was got better and better. And there were some particularly nice kind of links with Ross Stewart. Um, you know, Stewart, excellent again. Yeah really struggled to praise him enough, to be honest, for the job he's doing. I know he'll probably go away being frustrated he didn't score that one-on-one, you know, but what he's able to do in pressurised situations, the way he's able to hold the ball up, even when he doesn't win it, the way he challenges defenders and buys his time, buys his team time, sorry, um, is really impressive. And I thought there were times when you felt someone under a bit of pressure and Hoffman found Stewart with that bit of quality and just relieved the pressure. So I think I would say I was kind of, encouraged by Hoffman's performance but I think it's one of those where you know you have to put into context that he'd only met his centre arse the day before because he'd been away on national duty Um, you know he's come from a a, a new country he has got some experience in senior football because of the way Bayern Munich's sort of youth teams are set up they do play in in the senior division Um, so I think there were some areas of concern some areas of encouragement and I think it's one of those where you just have to take a step back and say well let's see how he develops over a longer period of time but I think as you alluded to there, certainly with ball at feet, you can see straight away that, that quality, which is you know why he's been at that club for, for a period of time. Yeah, you mentioned Ross Stewart then. I know we've we've talked about Charlie White a lot on this podcast, but he just seems like a different kettle of fish to, um, to Charlie White to me. I mean, fair play to Charlie White for scoring so many goals last season. I think he did very well, but I think it was noticeable if Charlie White didn't score. I'm not really sure how much of a nuisance he made himself. He, he he doesn't seem or didn't seem to get around the pitch as, as much as Ross Stewart does. I think, as you say, his, uh, his hold-up play, his link-up play is just absolutely sublime. And there was a little bit of a a slight surprise in the um, in the squad to face Atherton Stallion. There was no Diaku, um, Hoffman's teammate from Bayern Munich, um, coming in on deadline day as well via Hertha Berlin. Um, were you surprised by that, Phil? Union Berlin. I Union Berlin, sorry, yes, yeah, that's yeah. Um, I think I made that same mistake myself in one of the first <laughs> weeks. Um, no, I think, well I, well, I was surprised is the first thing to say because I kind of thought they would just put him on the bench and we might see him um, get a little bit of a cameo at the end. But when, when we spoke to Lee Johnson after the game, you know, I asked him about that and he was very clear that he essentially written off this particular game quite early. I think it's worth stressing as well with Diaku not unlike Hoffman, um, has not really been playing much football this year at all. Um, he went on loan to, to Union Berlin, um, but he had an injury. Um, by the sounds of what I've heard, he had he had an illness as well. So not only has he not really had much of a pre-season, he hasn't actually got that kind of body of games behind him from earlier in the year either. Maybe quite similar to Alex Pritchard, actually, um, in terms of kind of the, the, the year he's had. Um, and so in that context, I think it's one of those where um, you know, it, it makes sense that they feel the need to get a little bit sharper. And also the quality of strength of depth that someone have got, you can't really afford to carry players in your squad if they're not ready. I mean, you know, in some ways, it's maybe an even bigger thing that Aidan O'Brien wasn't in the squad when on his mm. last competitive start, he scored a hat-trick against the championship team. So I think that just goes on to underline. I'm sure it'll be a similar switch, situation with Denver Hume in the next couple of weeks that, you know, if someone's not fully fit, you know, there isn't a place in the squad to carry someone. But what Johnson did say was that 
he felt Dayaki was making really good progress and he thought he'd be available for this weekend. So fingers crossed. But he did say that last week as well. So maybe a bit of chronology going on there. We'll, <laughs> well, uh, we'll come on to Sunderland's match winners at the moment. But um, you mentioned Sunderland's squad and, and strength and depth. What did you make of Alex Pritchard when he came on? Because I thought he did a, an excellent job of helping Sunderland manage the game, leading on the on the front foot. He also drew a lot of fouls as well to, to give Sunderland a bit of respite. I thought he was um, I thought it was a really good cameo from him. Yeah, he was intelligent. Um, I agree with that because especially when you're a, an attacking player like he is, I suppose it's probably quite frustrating coming on when you're actually not really getting the ball in many advanced areas. It's primarily about protecting the lead. It's obviously not the ideal situation in which he wants to play his football, but I agree with you. I thought he made a lot of quite clever decisions, won little fouls, bought time. Um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty mature mature cameo in it. It's one of those, isn't it? It's um, I think when you know Alex Pritchard signed, I think everybody expected him to go on and be sort of one of the key attacking players this year, and he may well still do. But even on Saturday, again, we look at Elliot Embleton, and you come away, okay, no goal or assist for Elliot today, but brilliant performance. Another good performance where he could and probably should have had two assists and went close to scoring a couple of times. Is there something very, very McGee about Embleton, which? even when you don't feel he's right on top of his game, he still produces four or five moments within a game that could easily lead to a goal. Um, it's a really rare, rare skill that, um, and it makes it incredibly difficult to lead him out of the team. And I don't think anyone could sort of quibble with him being in the side at the moment. Um, I do think that if Johnson wants to get Pritchard in the team, I wonder if his primary thought would be maybe finding somewhere else to play Hamilton because at the moment that kind of, quality and that ability to produce something is just something that you're not going to pass up because as I say, even if I didn't think it was his best game of the, um, game of the campaign on Saturday, he still produced some really crucial moments. It's a good position to be in, a really good position to be in. It is. I found Lee Johnson's comments um, before the Accrington Stanley game really interesting on Pritchard and Embleton and, and the way um, as Sutherland squad were training, he, he mentioned that it was almost embarrassing that you had to leave Pritchard out because he was he's training so well. And this is a, a former eleven million pound player he used to play for Tottenham and Huddersfield. So it really does go to show the strength and depth at the moment. Um, Dan Neal, we've got to talk about Dan Neal. I mean, pff, what a story this season for me. The story of Sutherland season so far has been Dan Neal's emergence, and we both grew up as Sutherland fans, are Sutherland fans, and. You know, this is the dream, isn't it? What Dan Neal's doing now. Yeah, I mean, I sort of... It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you never want to, especially a player of that that age, you, you never want to hype them up too much. You know, you want to make sure that you aren't going too high and too low and kind of giving them that room to grow as a player. But to be honest, Dan Neal's just such an impressive um, young lad that you just don't stress too much about it. I think he's someone who... You know, very clearly takes everything in his stride, and you can see that through the consistency of performance and um, through the early stages of the season. I think he's a really, really good player. I felt that from the moment that he broke through last preseason. Um, I thought his performances then were just so mature, so different to what we'd seen from a lot of Sunderland's midfielders in previous years. For whatever reason, it didn't quite happen for him last season. To be fair, he's been fairly candid in saying maybe his kind of level in training dipped from where it had been in preseason. Um, and that, again, just goes to show the maturity that he kind of understood that. He was patient, got his head down, um, and now he's getting his reward. And, you know, I think it's just it's a real thrill to watch these players whose instinct is always to go forward is their first thought. Um, brilliant moment, sort of. Embleton, in the end, kind of made a bit of a mess of his, his shot, but 
Neil played that little one-two in sort of later in the game, um, sort of burst past his defender and then slides that ball across Rembleton who should score. And it's just the kind of move we've not seen a huge amount of um, in the last couple of years. And really, really exciting to watch. And like I say, I, I can't stress enough what a sort of down-to-earth um, young lad he is. And that's what makes you, even over and above the talent, that's what makes you think someone have got a real gem here. Um, someone who's really kind of candid about how much more work he has to do and what he wants to achieve. And I'm just really looking forward to watching him develop. It's been a real kind of pleasure to watch the first stage of his career, and I'm just looking forward to watching the next steps now. No, 100%. It was a, it was a pleasure to, to witness his, his post-match interview as well. He, he spoke to Joe Nicholson, our colleague at the Sunderland Echo. You can read all of um, Dan Neil's comments if you subscribe to the Sunderland Echo, but it was um, it was refreshing, the 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid coming in, and, and he was honest about what he'd done in the past and how he needed to improve the conversations he's had with the manager, you know, sort of looking up to Luke O'Nine and when he was given that left-back position in the very early days of the season, he he wanted to do the best job he could and, and prove that he could play in Sunderland's first team and work on from there. So, yeah, hugely impressive young man and, you know, running to the stand where he used to sit or stand when he um, when he scored as a, yeah, stuff of dreams. Um, Carl Winchester, fast becoming a cult hero as well. He, he got the winner. He's made that right-back right, right spot his own. Um just, yeah, really nice to see him doing the business, isn't it? Because Lee Johnson values him. He comes across as a, a really hard work and pro and he's getting his rewards now, isn't he? And, and getting some adulation from a big crowd, which is always nice to see. Yeah, well, I think that, I think supporters just recognise with like Carl Winchester that it, it it means a lot to him in terms of, you know, it means a lot to all professionals, of course it does, but you, you can just sense from the way he's attacking it this season that it means a lot to him to be part of the club to be playing for a club of this size. And also that he's got, I think he, he's someone who has had a good career, um, but you can sense there's a real appetite that he's kind of got this sense of what he could achieve here and that he could go on to play the level that potentially a year ago he might have felt it passed him by. Um, and you can really see that in his performances. And I mean, I, he's just been a pleasure to watch. And it is interesting because I think whether it's a whether it's a um, result of something his work he's been doing in preseason or what he does seem to have an extra bit of power in his running this year. I think obviously you get more of a chance to showcase that from fullback, but I just think you know it's something we maybe hadn't seen in the first six months of his summer career. Every game there's one or two moments where he kind of bursts beyond the opposition fullback, and you just think it's not something we'd seen from him early on in his career, and it's given someone a real attacking outlet, and that goal was kind of the perfect embodiment of that. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, the, the Winniester cult movement is something I'm, I'm firmly behind. Um, I, I honestly, I did think that when I came away from the game on Saturday, I just thought, what a pleasure, really. I don't think you could get two more popular or kind of better goal scorers. It was just a fantastic combination. Two players who I think everybody um, would kind of salute for what they've done in pre-season, the early stages of the season. It was really nice for them both to get those kind of big moments, if you like, in the stadium of light and you know, with both of them, long may it continue. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's a funny old game, football, and right now, like nobody's touching Winchester in that right-back position. You know, you just wouldn't even consider changing it on Saturday, would you? Whereas, mm-hmm. understandably, before the Wigan game, it was like, Winchester at right-back. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't think you'd find a fan who would change it. Um, so just, you know, and that's credit to him. It's credit to the attitude he's had in attacking that 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 brief. Yeah, exactly. And it's... um. 
it's nice to have players on the pitch as well that, that just seem to get it and they seem to get the mentality of the fans at the moment. You know, Dan Neil and Elliot Embleton wanting to get the ball forward. McGeady's always positive. Gooch as well, Lyndon Gooch, I think, in terms of his statistics, perhaps we'll have something on the echo on, on this one day, but in terms of his statistics, he's, he's been one of Sutherland's top performers this season, so it's good. Uh, one slight negative was that Tom Flanagan picked up a yellow card, so he will miss the game against Fleetwood. They expect Bailey Wright to come in. There's obviously the option of Alves as well, who we haven't seen much of. Yeah, you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, I thought Alves at Blackpool, I thought after a shaky first 15, 20 minutes, which is totally understandable because he hadn't kicked the ball for a while, I thought he got up to the pace of the game. In the second half, I thought he was excellent. So it's maybe not a sure thing, but I just think you know, it's all about balance and chemistry, isn't it? And I just think Flanagan's been such an important part of Callum Doyle's success because of his leadership, because of his communication, because of his experience. I just feel like Johnson will want to go with that from Bailey Wright, especially in a league game. And to be fair to Bailey Wright, whenever I think one this season, he's been really steady, really solid. We saw that again, even in a brief cameo on Saturday. So, yeah, I, I think that we'll see Bailey Wright on Saturday, especially because he's then got the cup game. Which is another on Tuesday night at Wigan, which is then another opportunity to bring Alves in. So it's not like you're almost excluding Alves if you don't pick him on Saturday. You've got a chance really quickly to get him some minutes again. So yeah, my, I would expect we'll see Wright and then Alves on Tuesday. You know, it's up to them both to really kind of take this opportunity that's presented itself. Yeah, you talked about um, Carl Winchester cementing himself as Sunderland's first choice right back, but with the return of Corey Evans, the question is. For Lee Johnson, does he break up that midfield sort of duo in the in the holding roles of of all nine and Dan Neil? Does he mix it up? Does Corey Evans come back into it? Um, we don't know how fit he is. Although we're due to speak to Lee Johnson, what would what would your initial thoughts be on that? Uh, personally, at the moment, I wouldn't be touching it. Um, it's no slight on Corey Evans, who I was so impressed with in the early stages of the season and just thought he was was excellent and looks a really good addition. Um, but I just think that, you know, Johnson, by his own admission, has kind of said that part, part of the reason Evans picked up that injury was because they probably had to push him a little bit too hard because of the situation with the squad. So I just think Neil and 9 are playing well. It's a nice blend in there. I do think 9s I would like to see more of him in attack, and hopefully that will come as he gets used to that midfield role again. But I do think his physicality has been really important in setting that platform for Neil to do what he does. Um, so I'm happy with that combination. I certainly think on Saturday, I wouldn't change it, given how successful it's been. And then again, you've got that game on Tuesday, which potentially gives you a chance to start building Evans back up to fitness. But I just think Evans is going to be such an important player over the course of a full season. And I think even though I'm probably his biggest fan in the world, I think you have to be realistic and say that asking Neil to do, go from playing no games to 50 games is a big ask. So... You know, I don't feel like it's going to be one of those where if Evans doesn't play on Saturday, he's not getting back in the team. It's going to happen at some point. But at the moment, while Neil's got the wind in his sails and he's got a nice little blend with 0-9 there, I think it's a great opportunity just to be able to ease Evans back in and kind of keep a keep a successful and settled partnership going. Yeah, absolutely. Before we uh, before we move on, um, who was your favourite cult hero, Phil, out of, out of Alan Turk and Carl Winchester? Or is that too difficult a question for you to answer on this podcast? Yeah, I think it would still be it would still be Aleem. Um just while we're on that actually, just like to point out that Aleem's um Turkish side are yet to concede a goal five games this season. <laughs> can only have a goal difference of plus thirteen. So for all the Aleem 
fans out there, there's your little update. Um, yeah, no, I think Alim's still ahead, but I am a, I am. A, I've, to be fair, I've been quite a big Winnie Esther fan ever since that little back heel at Ipswich away earlier this year. That was a real sort of um, truth and moment for me. So long may it continue. Good stuff. Um, there was a, a little bit of transfer news this weekend with the 16-year-old lad um, going to join Everton. I'm not going to pronounce his name, Phil, because you'll muller me for it. So I'm going to let you take the um, <laughs> take the pronunciation the responsibilities on that one. Uh, briefly, sort of what's the story behind that? And, and obviously, that we've known about the deal for a while, but it just seems to have gone through now, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's a, a, it, is a, it is a blow because, to be honest, um, he's a player who Sunderland rate really highly, Francis. Okoronko, um, 16 year old. Um, he is definitely one of kind of the bigger talents in his age group. He's been playing above his level for a while. He played a lot of under 18s football last year, and people may remember that he was actually included in the sort of traveling party for the Papa John's final. Um, you know, that was a decision Christian Speakman made. It was very much a nod to his progress that he made, a reward for his progress, if you like, and also a signal that, you know, the club had really high hopes for him. Um, but he's obviously opted to go elsewhere. It's obviously a really emotive subject at Sunderland because there's been too many occasions in the past where probably the club hasn't put enough a big enough fight to keep players and probably haven't got full value for them as a result of that. And you know, I've one of the seen the picture of Joe Hugel trained alongside Cristiano last week, and that kind of sums it up. I think there has to be a balance to that, and this way that the situation is it is very difficult to keep players of that age if they make a decision that they want to go elsewhere and it then becomes about getting the best deal. So I do have some sympathy with Sunderland. Hopefully it's not something that continues. And my big thing for a while, and even during that phase when Sunderland were losing a lot of young players, was unfortunately Sunderland and Lee Warren are vulnerable to these big Premier League academies. What I really wanted to see was Sunderland being proactive and going and doing it to other clubs, you know, because even though Sunderland may not be where it wants to be right now, it should still be a big draw to talented young players. And that was one of my big frustrations that I didn't see reinvestment, that I didn't see Sunderland saying, well, okay, we've lost this talented youngster. We need to go and find one, you know, from somewhere else or what have you. So that's something that I'm hoping we'll see more of in the sort of coming months and years. And it's a, it's a big challenge for Christian Speedman because as long as Sunderland are in League One, and to be honest, even beyond League One in the Championship, it's going to be something they're vulnerable to when they're producing excellent players. So... Yeah, all these, you know, there's no one sort of answer to it because every situation is different and every player is different. Um, but I suppose it's just a little reminder that even with a new regime, it's still something that's very difficult to sort of deal with um, and, and a big challenge for, for Christian Speakman moving forward. You know, no doubt that it's uh, disappointing because it is ultimately another good young player who's left. Yeah, absolutely. On the other end of the career spectrum, uh, Grant Ledbetter announcing his retirement officially. He left the club uh, during the summer. I mean, what a career he's had as a, as a Sunderland uh, Academy of Light graduate to play for his boyhood club, to leave, to come back, you know, promotion to the championship, uh, promotion from the championship with the Middlesbrough and just a consummate pro, really, isn't he? Yeah, 100%. I think it speaks volumes to Grant's professionalism and his attitude and the way he's carried himself in his career that, as you allude to there, he's as loved in Middlesbrough as he is in Sunderland um, because of the way he sort of um, led that side, the way he embraced, you know, being part of that club. And that tells you everything you need to know, really. Um, loved watching Grant play, um, loved the commitment that he had. And I, I just think it goes to show as well that, you know, yeah, winning is 
kind of all important in football, but it isn't absolutely everything. And even though I know how much disappointed Grant that he wasn't able to help get Sunderland out of League One, I know it's something that you know still hurts him now and probably hurt him for a long time that he wasn't able to be part of that. But the fact you know that he's still so fondly thought of here and always will be um, goes to show that how you conduct yourself matters. You know that how you represent the club matters, how you represent your fan base matters. Um, and I think the kind of huge amount of goodwill that you've seen kind of pouring out, not just when he left the club, but yesterday when he confirmed his retirement, um, just goes to show that it's, it isn't all just about performance and it isn't all just about winning. The other stuff matters. And Grant in his second spell embodied that. Um, and, you know, the way he fought his way back into the team was outstanding. Um, so, so much respect for him. And, and I think the thing is, he's obviously taken a little bit of time now to wait up his next steps. I've absolutely no doubt that we'll see Grant involved in football again um, because he's got so much to offer. Um, it's just a case of what he decides the best avenue to do that is and you know, wish him all the best. And you know, just to say again, what a pleasure it was to watch him. All those years, all those Thunderbolt goals, um, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, a real pleasure and someone who I think will always be remembered incredibly fondly by Sunderland fans. Yeah, I read among the tributes was, uh, was one from um, a BBC journalist who covers Middlesbrough. And he said that during the championship promotion campaign, Grant was injured, so he was getting injections um, to get help get Middlesbrough over the line, which then meant that he missed the majority of the Premier League campaign, which I just found extraordinarily selfless. And then that selfless streak um, continued, and it was second spell at Sunderland when, under Jack Ross, we were in the semi-final of the playoffs against Portsmouth, and Grant had a bereavement the night before the game, or a couple of days before. He still played that game and helped get Sunderland over the line. Um, so that's the sort of stuff that I think fans aren't likely to forget in a hurry. And we uh, we wish him all the best in his retirement and his uh, his next steps going forward. Uh, Fleetwood at the weekend away from home, uh, a big test again for Sunderland. They've got to go again. Fleetwood haven't had the best start under Simon Grayson, but. Still a dangerous team. Well, yeah, didn't have a great start, but did beat Rotherham 4-2 um, last weekend, which was an outstanding result, really. Um, so that goes to show you that they've still got threats. I don't think they have quite the same level of, of quality and ambition that they maybe had in the first couple of years we were in this division when they were spending quite significantly. There does seem to have been a little bit of a rollback on that. But they've still got a lot of promising players. James Hill, the young defender, who recently got his first England youth cap. Um, Callum Morton, on loan from West Brom, um, who's had a really strong early stage to his kind of EFL career on loan. So they've still got a lot of threats, um, and it, it absolutely is another big test for someone um, and an opportunity as well. Um, you know, it's not really, even though points-wise, it's broadly similar to the kind of start we've seen in someone having in the past. There definitely has been a great positivity around at this time. Maybe not from the first year, which was pretty positive at the time because it all felt fresh and new, but certainly because of the style of play and the young players coming through, you know, there's definitely a real feel-good factor in Saturday's a test, but it's another opportunity to sort of, you know, another away day, another chance to like put another kind of good memory on the early stages of the season and just build that momentum a little bit further because we all know from... Sunderland in the past, even though the, the really good season seemed an awful long time ago now, we all know how quickly that momentum can build and how difficult it can become to stop. So, yeah, again, it's just a game you're looking forward to and and, and hopefully someone can, can sort of keep that momentum going. In terms of 
Lee Johnson style and the way Sunderland have played so far this season? Would you expect them to go away from home and sort of try and impose their own will on Fleetwood again? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I don't see them changing a huge amount in terms of either personnel or, or system. I mean, Johnson generally is quite... Um, he's willing to be pr- pragmatic. He's not one who sort of pick your team and then never change it as long as you win a game. If he if he feels there's something he can do specifically to hurt Fleetwood, he will. Um, but I just think at the moment the team's in such a good groove that he'll be loath to make too many changes. And because as I keep saying, I know I've said it a lot, but that game on Tuesday, I know we've talked a lot about the Cups potentially being a hindrance and what have you. But with the way the squad is at the moment, he's got a lot of players who need minutes and need an opportunity. And I do think that Wigan game comes at a good time. Um, it'll give you Nathan Broadhead, players like that, an opportunity to state a claim. So, yeah, I, th- I think Saturday we'll see much of what we've seen recently. And then on Tuesday, there's a big chance for some of those players to potentially come in and, and, and kind of show their worth. And just quickly on the Wigan game as well, Lee Johnson was quoted in the week saying he sort of wants to get uh, Anthony Patterson. I think it was 20 or 25 league starts by, or 25 starts in general by hook or by crook, whether that's a loan or, or wherever that comes. Do you think he could possibly get the nod against Wigan, but then, you know, Hoffman needs minutes and Lee Burge is probably going to be beaten down the door as well? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult um, really difficult one. That I, I do honestly think that maybe a National League loan, even if it's just until January, might be the best bet for Patterson at the moment. Um, really difficult, I think, to balance three keepers who all kind of have realistic expectations. Because if Burge, you know, was on the bench on Saturday, so you kind of think, well, if he currently is number two, do you want to give him the minutes if you are going to make a change in the cup so that he's kind of ready and, and in rhythm if you need him in the league? So a tricky decision. You do think Burge may be slightly ahead because if he was on the bench on Saturday. I, yeah, we'll wait and see. But I just think even if it is a short-term one where you can bring him back quickly if you need to, I, I, I wonder if it's worth just trying to get 10, 15 games in the National League for Patterson between, between now and January. Yeah, absolutely. Strength and depth. It's, uh, it's quite nice. Well, thanks for joining me, Phil. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you. No worries. And as we mentioned earlier, you can subscribe to the Sunderland Echo for all of the latest Sunderland AFC content. That'll include Phil's play ratings on Saturday against Fleetwood Town, plus a live blog, all of Lee, John's re- Lee Johnson's reaction and everything else that comes with it. Um, this has been the Raw Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>